Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Daily Sales Show. We are here every single day bringing you free sales tips. I am going to share my screen here. If you are looking for more info, you can find us at sellbetter.xyz or by scanning this QR code. Check us out. Uh, I want to also give a big shout out to Attention. They are sp our sponsor here on the show today. They are who make this all po possible. Um, we obviously love them because they help us with objection handling or helping us answer questions that come up live in a conversation. But one of our favorite pieces is that all of the details from a call go directly into your CRM, and it even helps you write a follow-up email afterwards. If you're interested in seeing more, there's a link in the chat to check them out. Take a peek. But today, we are here to talk about discovery calls. Are you ready? Are you guys ready for some discovery calls? Change your chat settings to everyone if you want to chat and share with the group as we go through today because we have some legendary sales pros in the room. Legend. Legend. <laughs> yeah. More or less, um, we have more and Jen and I'm Leslie and we're here to talk about discovery calls. You guys, thanks for being here. Yeah. yeah. We're excited. I'm so excited to be with my buddy more. Yeah. And you too, Leslie, of course. I'm here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're going to do a quick peek at the agenda that we got going on. First, we're going to cover where you guys are looking for information before your discovery calls, how you prepare your questions. I know we have a sneak peek at some of your favorite questions to ask during discovery. And then uh, a nice little conversation about meaningful dialogue in discovery because i think that's a place where a lot of people get stuck before we dive in if everyone wouldn't mind answering for us we have a nice poll um that we're gonna launch you know if you've done it before we just want to see who's in the room da, 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 da. and so that we can tailor our conversation and make sure that we are sharing relevant information to everyone who's joining us um, okay, so jumping right in while that's running, I am a huge fan personally of prepping before a discovery call. And I think there's a lot of typical places that everyone goes to get information. But I'm curious to hear if either of you, both of you have some unique places that you're going to look for information on a prospect, whether it's the individual person or the company ahead of time before the call. More, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I was going to let Jen kick us off because she's really oh. smart. Like you're you're plenty smart more you go ahead all right fine um <laughs> i'll tell you what i do um and some of it may be um unconventional but um and it's not every time it, it it really is contextual but something that i've done was i go into a lower level employee and it sounds bad but let's just say i'm prospecting to the cro or founder whatever it is i'll go and and my offering is to the ae that's that end user I will connect with a couple of AEs in the company and sort of ask them, tell them, hey, I, I may, I'm it's funny, this is going to be like an awkward question, but I'm actually potentially looking into um, uh, cold emailing your CRO. Ha ha ha. I'm sure you can appreciate. But um, I wanted to know, do you think it's worth doing? This is my offering. What do you think? So 
that's if I don't have a relationship with the lo- the individual user, the end user. If I do have one, then it's a lot easier. I don't even, you know, I just ask them straight up, like, hey, how is sales going on in, in your company right now? What does discovery look like? What does demo look like? Um, without telling them, hey, I'm going to prospect into them. Um, or if they've engaged with my LinkedIn posts, then I might just after that look at their profile and say, hey, you know what? That company is some, a company I would prospect into. So let me connect with them and say, hey, Jen, appreciate you engaging with my post the other day about demos. I'm curious, what's what's top of mind for you right now as you're doing demos in XYZ company? And I may not even say I'm going to prospect into the company, but I'm going to do research in advance with this conversation to see if it's even worth reaching out to the company. If they tell me, oh yeah, demos is definitely a focus that we want to do because of whatever reason, I now have information that I can use to reach out to the VP of sales or the CRO or the founder. So that's that's one little way I, I do research. Nice. I like it. Jen, anything unique that you do and yeah. before Discovery Call? Yeah. And plus one to Moore's tactic there. I absolutely love that. Um, for me, this is one I've talked about before. It's a very simple Google where I take the CEO's name or the founder's name and I Google their name plus interview or their name plus podcast. And the reason I do that is I think one of the things that I neglected to bring to Discovery Calls quite often was a point of view on what that business seemed to be trying to achieve and how they appeared to be getting after those goals. And so my intent in this preparation is to not walk into the call and be like, hey, tell me what your company's focused on, right? But rather be able to come in and say, it looks like as an outsider, you might be focused here and here. And it seems like you might be trying to do that by X, Y, Z. I think that does a couple of things. One, it gives us... um, a much easier place to start a conversation. I think it's really awkward to go in and be like, so tell me what you're working on. Not that I think a lot of people on this call would say that, but like, tell me what we're working on as it relates to X. It's just a big, ugly, open-ended question and it's high effort for our buyers to answer. So I'm a big fan of coming in with at least a point of view. It's not a fact. It's not a confirmation. We don't work there. But I think by doing that, what that allows me to do is at least have a hint or a clue as to something that might be relevant. I will say now in our chat GPT generation that we beautifully live in, I think one of the cool waves I've seen um, sellers use this is to take a transcript, copy paste it and say, what were the CEO's key talking points? Um, so I think there's ways to do that much faster than we traditionally have in the past of just sitting down and reading all that stuff or listening to it. Right. Or Are like- we allowed to slightly disagree here? Please. I love a good... Uh- no, no. So I, I meant prior to this, we, we met up, right? And I said, yeah... It- I have strong opinions in sales, but I play devil's advocate, so I can be like, yeah, you know, that could work too. So I 1000% agree with Jen. I think contextually, if we're talking about an outbound motion where you're, pro- you're a, you have a discovery call with a lead that came from outbound, that makes total sense versus like, hey, what's the reason you wanted to jump on a call? It's like, you reach out to me. If it's inbound, I, I part of me, like, so the other side that sort of disagrees with it is if I share with them what I think could be the, the use case, what that could do is it sort of like loads the question or, or affects their, I want to, I want to hear from them and I'll keep the information that I have and just see if it matches up. If it matches up, then I can then share, share my insights. If it doesn't match up and that's fine, I won't say anything. I'll just, you know, that's how I'm thinking about it. I'm not saying wrong. I just think there's another, another, <laughs> another angle to this. Like you don't want to pigeonhole or point the conversation a certain direction. 
Do you think that there's a question that you can ask after you're setting up your point of view that would make sure that you don't pigeonhole yourself? Like, hey, is there anything else that's top of mind? Or like, what's what's your typical go to there? So maybe you don't get pigeonholed. Yeah. And to be clear, so I'm not making a guess on what they're doing per se. I'm trying to show that I've done my homework to say it looks like this is what you're trying to achieve. So like if I see a company talking about we're trying to triple subscription revenue by 2025, like that should be if it's being spoken about by the CEO, it should be a big priority for the sales leader, I would imagine. Um, So what I will always do is frame it with unsure tonality, right? Because to Moore's point, I totally agree with you. I don't think you're saying it wrong. I think you're bringing up a really good caveat here. You don't want to come in and state it as a matter of fact, because then then that does create kind of an awkward tension point. But what I'll say is I'll say it looks like the business is trying to achieve this from what I can tell. From what I could see, it looks like these, this and this might be how you're trying to get after it. But I don't work within your four walls. Help me understand what am I not seeing because I don't work within the company. Mm-hmm. And I think what that leans into is our human nature to want to correct, right? So I, what I'm trying to do is minimize the awkward silence or the uncomfortable like, so what are you focused on? Which I think was always difficult for me as a seller because then I think I just ran to talking a lot and being like, well, let me just tell you everything that we know about this problem. Um, so I think... It, to, to Moore's point, framing it with a bit of unsure tonality and leaning into that human desire to correct really helps make sure we don't walk ourselves into a corner. I like it. I agree. Two thumbs up. Um, wh- okay, let's let's keep rolling from that. So you're doing some prep ahead of time. Actually, I want to ask everyone, yourselves included, I'll have you answer out loud, but I want to ask, um, I'll launch another poll here. Do you personally like to plan your discovery questions before a call or do you just let it happen naturally or a little bit of both more? What's your go to? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely don't um, wing it. It's all planned. Um, all planned. It may, not be, it may not be the actual question itself, but the intention of the question. So, for example, hmm. I have a very specific question around like understanding the problem that they're dealing with or their timeline, but I, I won't actually copy and paste the script there. I'll just put the intention of the question to remind to me at that in the moment, I'll know which question naturally to ask. Um, I don't know if that made sense, but for example, um, very basic example, I'll say pain is what I want to know. So pain will be the first bullet point. I can come up with a thousand different questions that is articulated around pain. You know, what challenges are you having? Whatever it is. Um, so that's why I do it. I don't actually copy and paste the questions and have that prepped in advance. No way. So you're more like outcome focused. You're like, here's the outcomes I want. And here's a reminder Correct. checklist. Exactly. I love it. That's I why love I it. Okay. Jen, how about you? Yeah. I think like that was a mistake I made as being way too rigid around. I'm going to ask this question, this question, this question. I think when you're starting off, you need a bit of a crutch to say, if I panic, let me make sure I just have a couple questions handy, which is why I'm excited that we're going to share some from today. But I think part of the process of getting really effective at discovery is lowering that like inquisition. I'm going to ask you all these things so I can walk away with better understanding your business. I think where really great sellers stand out is when they recognize it's not about me getting an understanding of your business. It's about helping that executive get a better understanding of their own business. And yeah. so for that reason, I think it's it's about pairing both the insight you bring to the potential problem and then the questions that you can't find answers to publicly. Um, but I think as long as you know the choreography of like the overall conversation, the big p- points that you know you need to hit, the only place where I do 
I would say I'm probably a bit more rigid is at the end when I'm looking to understand how the larger organization would feel about the problem. So that is the place where I tend to rely on a set of four questions, which we're going to talk about later. Awesome. So I hear like for that, it's shifting your mindset about the the call from being about you and what you need to learning about them. And then once you've determined that that's a fit, yes, then you're getting more structured with what you're asking. 86% of the room said that they do a little bit of a mix of both, a little bit unplanned, a little bit of planned. Living on the edge. <laughs> the most sales answer we can have is like both, everything. It depends, right? Like that's our, our typical go-to as salespeople. I like it. Okay. So I want to share... Um, more. I mean, like you're all about discovery questions. Can yeah. I share some of the questions? No. Kind of, no. Okay. <laughs> We're going to end it awesome. here. <laughs> Thanks. Um, can you walk us through it? Yeah. You want to, you have it. I'll bring it up. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Here we go. So I want to point to something that Jen, Jen said that was really um, on point, like super important for people to like listen to and like take notes on. There's two parts of discovery. One, to better understand your business to see if I'm able to help. And to, and the second part is, if I'm not able to help you, you may not even need to help, right? Like there, there are certain questions where it helps the prospect understand, are they even in, in a place where they actually need something like whatever solution you're selling? And so I don't know if there's a question here. Okay, it's, it's not on here. So I'll just lead with that question first. And a question like that would be, I call it unselling, where you're really not trying to pitch them on anything or convince them of anything. You're really trying to understand, is there a problem like is it a that big of a problem that they need to solve or is it even a problem and one of let's just say you're talking to a prospect and you're talking about the business and they say yeah we use xyz solution and they tell you that you know it's pretty good it's been working up until this point but they want to know some other options whatever it is but it's not like crazy bad then an unselling question that goes into jen's uh, point of well it helps the prospect understand their businesses well, it seems like you're doing a pretty good job at it for three years now. Like, why, why even like switch over to something new and get your entire team adopting something brand new? Why not just stay with what you're currently using? If you do it strategically, it either is going to cause the prospect to say, "You know what? I never thought about that. I, I've just been, you know, I've been sort of every day just like trying to keep up." That's a good point. Or they'll say, "Why they do? Why the problem is that bad?" They'll end up selling you on why they need you. So you can find out. You can help the prospect understand their business by almost like resisting the sale, like pushing back at them. Just wanted to make that point. Um, all right. So we have some questions here. So let's see when you say pain, how do you mean? All right. So the first question, um, my sort of North star, when I get on a discovery call, whether outbound or inbound, I need to know the pain. Um, I think Scott Lee says like no pain, no sale. So my first question, which is not on here, it's like, for example, Hey, Leslie, like what, contextually, if it's an inbound lead or an inbound request, I'd say something like, hey, Leslie, what are some of the challenges that you're dealing with now that you think we'd be able to help with? Mm -hmm. I'm also making an assumption that we may not be able to help with it. So that question is challenge focused, pain focused. You're generally, usually the prospect gives some sort of vague answer. We like to automate things. Things are just slipping through the cracks, whatever that, right? It's just usually vague. At that point, I need, I need specificity. And so I don't want to be like, what do you mean? That's rude. So I'll say, when you say things are bleeding through the cracks in terms of pipeline, how do you mean? And by positioning with how do you mean, they end up telling me the process, not like just, huh. hey, it sucks. 
they tell me the process because the question is how. That's the first question. I don't know if you want me to go through all the questions, but that's yeah, maybe. Well, I want to pause there for a minute. Yeah, I really like that phrase of how do you mean? Because sometimes it's like um, not necessarily like the natural or it's like, what do you mean by that? Or tell me more about that. But how do you mean gets them really specific? I'm curious, like anyone in the chat use that how before really like give us a give us a gen plus one or a thumbs up or like a smiley face or whatever feels right. Um, but what's like, do people ever clarify that from you more when you ask that? Or do they typically like 80% of the time, 90% of the time you're getting processed back? They always clarify it. Um, and they usually start talking about process. They'll start some, they'll say something, well, right now, and then they go into what's happening internally. And that just gives me some more content. I try not to get into too much of a process um, conversation during early discovery. I usually right. like to save that for the demo. Discovery, I really just want to know, like, what's the core problem or problems that you're having? Um, if they talk about process, I won't stop them. Somebody asked in the chat, like, what's my question for outbound? Like, if I'm if I'm if I book a discovery call through an outbound activity, I'm not going to ask them, like, hey, what challenges are you having that you think we'd be able to help with? Because they'll say, well, you think you'd be able to help us, so why did you reach out? So. In that case, I'll do one of two things. I'll call out the elephant in the room. So I'll say, hey, Jen, I I know I reach out to you and you get a bunch of cold emails and cold calls a day. There was something about my messaging that probably resonated. I'm just curious. What about what I sent you made you want to or dis- made you decide to book a call with me? Like yeah. that could be the beginning of a, a discovery question from a cold prospect. The other one that I forgot what it was, it was... Um, there's another one that I recently used. I don't remember it. If I remember, I'll put it, but that's usually my go-to. Okay. Uh, we'll jump back to more. Um, I want to pull up. Jen, can can you do the same thing? I'll share the screen here again. Walk us through like some of the questions that you're asking in a discovery call. Yeah. So I think one of the big missteps that I made a lot as a salesperson, so I was selling the challenger sales methodology. Like nobody needs the challenger sales methodology. It's not keeping anybody's lights on. Like, don't get me wrong. I I sold it for years. I still live and die by it. Like I'm challenger for life. But it wasn't something that people woke up one day and were like, I need to buy this. And so what would often happen is I would get an inbound lead from someone that read the challenger sale book, or I would do an outbound motion to someone I thought would be a good fit for whatever reason. And I would have a really great discovery call with one stakeholder. And I would leave that call and I would be so confident because maybe they were a VP of sales and they seemed to like everything I was talking about. So I'd put it in the forecast and then they'd ghost me. Um, So doing that enough, making enough of those missteps taught me that having a great discovery call with one individual is almost like not even a good cue to forecast a deal anymore. So the questions that I'm going to talk through on this page, I'll pick one that we can toggle back and forth, are really all geared around protecting myself against forecasting a deal where you've got one believer and then an audience, like a, a, a whole team of people that don't. So if I take the first question here, who is most likely to be skeptical of prioritizing this problem and what else would they prioritize above it? What I'm trying to get here is not only for my own benefit of like what other priorities am I competing with, but I'm also trying to seed that idea in my prospect's head that I need you to be thinking who in the business is going to disagree because I can't think of a single deal I've ever sold where everybody showed up and was like, we view the problem the exact same way. 
And more often than not, you get a lot of internal disagreement, which ends up being the reason why deals don't move forward. So the the purpose or the intent behind this is to almost slow my prospect down to say, I know you're excited. I totally see a fit based on what you're saying, but I guarantee there's someone else in this business who would be really, really skeptical. Give me the name. Who would that be? And then it just opens up this dialogue that forces them to think about, well, gosh, how are we going to how are we going to socialize this with them? So that's my first question on the page. What's their name? Where do they live? <laughs> yeah, send me to them right Find now. Them. Take. Them. I do think it's like also opening up this opportunity for you to uh, kind of move across and sit on the same side as the table, same side of the table as them. And now you're like selling with them internally. It's uh, it's bridging some gaps and forming a, a different relationship with your main champion, if if you want to call them that, right? Good old bridge gaps. Bridge gaps, gap bridges, more or less. More or less. Yeah. And it goes <laughs> kind of back to Moore's like point in the beginning around unselling, which is like, that's not a question a seller with happy ears asks because you don't want to hear that someone is skeptical. And yeah. so I think that's how we move out of this. Like I'm a sales rep, you're a prospect into a, I'm a partner and thinking through this problem is when they realize, man, you must have done this before if you know to ask that question. I think a lot of great questions are just simply that. Like you've clearly done this before by evidence by asking that question. Yeah, that's a really good one. More, I want to bring back up your questions. Yeah. So I do remember uh, I was looking at my, my email because I emailed myself this particular thing because again, I saw a few questions in the chat about discovery questions for outbound and I have it here. So what an, another approach that would be really interesting when you get on a discovery call with somebody is, again, outbound activity, is if you tell the prospect why you actually originally reached out, why you thought it was a good idea to reach out and then set contact for that call. So you would say, hey, Leslie, uh, appreciate we jumping on the call, whatever it is. By the way, just for context, the original reason why I reached out was because I was doing research on blah, 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 right? You tell them why you reached out. And then you followed up with a permission question. So um, tell them the original reason why you reached out, give them the reason. And then you say something like, is it okay if I ask you a couple of questions just to better understand if, I, if this is even a, a, a good move, this is even a fit? And that's that's another approach. So you have those two, two moves. On the discovery side, I did uh, notice... Yeah. Um, or like outbound side. Yeah. Um, I did notice a few people in the chat, change your settings to everyone, the little blue box in your chat if you um, are sharing with the whole group there. And if you have questions for Jen and more, if you stick them in that Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, um, you can also upvote other people's questions with the thumbs up button and we'll get to some of those questions there at the end because the chat, it gets kind of lost. Um, give us another one of your questions like what's another favorite for you on from the list here yeah um well number two is very similar to what jen said um i think we're very much in a lot and when jen was on my podcast she said and i was like yes yeah, exactly it um because it could be just the one per the one prospect that you're talking to like i it had it happened to me where i was talking to like a head of sales and they were gung-ho yeah we're really interested and then the end of the call that he said well i gotta have a conversation with my ceo to see if this is something they'd want to do I was like, do they know we're having a conversation? He's like, no, not yet. <laughs> and so that was my mistake. I should have asked in the beginning, like, besides, like, who beside, besides you, like, who else realizes that this is something that needs to be solved? Um, that's another one. Um, let's see, we have a timeline. How long has it been a problem? You know, what do you think? Ah, number five is is interesting, but I'm going to um, give you a number six that's not on here that happened recently to me on a deal that I should have asked. Um, and it was 
going back to like, you know, Jen's whole thing is like deals are lost to status quo. So I was talking to a prospect. We had a very good discovery call, very much aligned and the call ended and he ended up deciding to go with his current like way of doing it, status quo. After that, I'm like, shit, what didn't I do right? And I listened back to the call and I realized I'm like, the question I really should have asked at one point was, Hey, so-and-so like curious, knowing what you know about what I offer and what else is out there, what are the chances that you're just going to continue using what you're currently using? Yeah. Had they said 5%, anything other than 0%, that gives me insight that they're not 100% sold, that they're willing to switch over from status quo. And then I could have been like, well, what's, you know, curious, what's the reason? Like what's holding you back from migrating to another solution, whatever it may be. I should have asked that. I didn't. And now it's a question I always ask. I think it's uh, like one of the biggest competitors, no matter what you're selling, no matter what industry you're in, is that like do nothing.com, right? Like no change, status quo, because it's easy. It's the easy thing to do in life and in work, right? So I feel like that's such a huge competitor. And just being aware of like their comfort level with what's going on right now, they can have issues with it. But you're exactly right. Like having that insight into like the percentage likelihood. I really like the way you phrase that. Beautiful. Thanks, Leslie. You're welcome. <laughs> um, Jen, do you have one more on your list that you want to highlight for us too? Yeah. So it goes on the theme of what we were just talking about. Um, the other question I like more, I think when we get burned in a deal, it teaches us the best discovery <laughs> questions to ask because we're like, I don't want ever that to happen again. Um, yeah. Number seven for me was who is most likely to be pro status quo and importantly, why? Um, so to give you an example, one of the things I ran into a lot when I was selling Challenger is I, again, would find a champion that really loved the Challenger methodology. But what they would neglect to realize is there was an internal sales enablement or sales training person that had literally just built their own training. And that person's entire motivation is going to be to protect same, right? Because They've just probably spent two years building it. They're just starting to roll it out. The very last thing they want to do is implement a new sales methodology. But I realize that a lot of times your your champion who's really excited about what you sell is, again, they're not thinking about that the way that you are. And so that's another place where I think it falls on us as the seller to, again, kind of like slow them down a little bit and be like, if you had to pick one person... Who's going to want to protect status quo? I view that as different from skepticism because skepticism might be, hey, I'm not sure that challenger is the right thing or I'm not sure that methodology is the right thing. I think we should implement a sales tool. Um, status quo is is nothing against what we are selling. It's everything ag- about protecting same. Um, and I completely agree. I mean, I talk about this all the time, like 40 to 60% of deals are lost to status quo. It's not price. It's not your competitor. It's not any of those things. It's just Mm -hmm. to the point you guys were just making, same is easier. And so I think, again, it's on us to force our prospects to go through that motion of trying to determine who might want to protect same. Because if they want to change, they're just not thinking of that. I have a follow-up question for Jen. For for the the use you gave right now, the the person that was like, they just built enablement, what what happened? What did you do? Or what did you ask? What did you? It, in those cases, honestly, it was usually a disqualification. Like it didn't really matter how excited my champion was because to overhaul something they spent in many cases, like millions of dollars of doing, I'd have to literally ride in on a golden pony and be like, I'm handing out a thousand dollar bills to everybody who says yes to Challenger. Like, and I think, you know, one of the things I wish I learned earlier as a salesperson is knowing when to walk away. And so that I think 
helped me understand if there is a really strong status quo reason or rationale, like they just rolled it out, I'm going to have my time better spent elsewhere. If you decide to write on ponies handing out (laughs) cash. Call me. Come on, right over here. Stop. Don't worry. (laughs) I'll join you. I mean, this sounds like a great job. Um, So I think that like I want to move into this next piece on your opinion, because I think this is where a lot of reps can get stuck in discovery. And I see one of two things happening a lot where either they get stuck in their list of questions where it's like, here's the here's what I need out of this call to move it to the next stage. Or obviously we want to close or like we're thinking about our own outcomes, like more you mentioned earlier, thinking about like matching our outcomes and their outcomes and like what's mutually beneficial. So we either see reps getting stuck in like interrogation, 8 billion questions, and it just feels, you know, heavy and there's too much going on. Or it's the opposite and they ask follow-up questions that get maybe a little bit too personal or too deep without the prospect understanding what their intentions are. And then you're not getting full, complete answers out of them. They're like, so why why do you need to know that? You know, and they like kind of put some distance between you guys. How do you or what advice do you have for sales reps to really open that engagement and have some genuine conversation during a discovery call? Genuine. Sorry. (laughs) I love it. I win going first. This is where this is why I fall back on the point of view thing. Like I and the only reason I say this is because I've had so many awkward conversations where it does feel like I'm pulling teeth being like, "Okay, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And they're like, this sucks. I want to do anything other than this. And candidly, I do think it's why decision makers often pass us down is because they think I've got better things to do than answer 100 questions from rep A, B and C. I'm looking at something. So let me let my junior level do it and they'll report back up. So I think for me, the most important thing is, can I have an intelligent conversation around the direction that their business seems to be going in and raise something thoughtful that maybe they hadn't thought of? Moore said something earlier, I put it in the chat, that I absolutely love. I think as a newer sales rep, when someone would say, yeah, that's exactly my problem, I'd be like, "That's yes, I've got it. Then I realized like, if they already know that problem, I've done nothing to create a, a more complete picture of the problem or teach them anything new. And this obviously comes from probably my my education in Challenger. But I think the goal is something more said earlier is to get them to say, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have one of those statements in a call, it is so game changing because now all of a sudden you are a source of information and education to that buyer. I don't think we can do that if we are just pulling from the buyer the whole time. So I think it's important to say, what is it that many executives may misunderstand or what new piece of information has changed the beliefs and assumptions that a lot of executives have held about this problem? And how do I bring that into the conversation, not in a condescending, like, I know this, you don't weigh, but in a way that's framed like, hey, we were really surprised to see that this thing over here that we've always thought didn't matter actually has a really serious implication on this thing over here that you're trying to solve for. But I'm curious, like, what's your take on it? What have you seen? And I think We just have to remember in our language choice, in our tonality, in our delivery, that we are not talking at someone and we're not taking from someone. Our best conversations, our most natural conversations are where we're going back and forth, not like a tennis match, because I think that's like exactly what bad discovery is, but feeling like we're just having a natural conversation. It just so happens that it's a sales call. That takes time, right? It takes time and practice to, to get there. 
it's again, like we're coming to the same, we're sitting on the same side of the booth at dinner now, right? Like it's, I, I we're sharing fries. Yeah. <laughs> we're sharing fries. Um, is there like a specific, uh, question that feels like that's your safe space? Is there something that's a go-to for you that you can like fall back on when you feel yourself getting awkward? Yeah, I think trans. I mean, this is again something I think more touched on earlier. It's just like being super transparent. I have literally said in calls, um, I just realized there's a question I should have you asked you way sooner that I didn't, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it. But can I back us up for a second? Like, love when you're human. Yeah. I don't think anyone expects a sales rep to be perfect, and I think when you can interrupt your rigid flow, that actually does a lot to show the person on the other end of the line that you're truly listening. Versus just being like, I'm just going to keep pushing and try to like backpedal my way out of this. So I think it's tough. It certainly was tough for me the first time I did it. But I was met with such like an encouraging response that I think like just if you haven't done it before, just try it. Unless the person's a complete jackhole, they'll probably be kind of kind about it. Hopefully. We're going to send good vibes to all the, <laughs> all the kind reciprocating pieces of that. More, is there something that you do or like a tip that you have for keeping that conversation yeah, so I'll answer it, but I want to first touch on what Jen just said. Okay. Um, being super vulnerable and like calling out the elephant in the room um, is just a great way to just like break the ice and level the entire everyone. And I've had like questions where it sounded like a stupid question and I wasn't sure to ask it. And that's what I felt in my mind. And so I just said what I felt. I, I would say something like, hey, Jen, I have sort of a stupid question and I'm not sure whether or not to ask it. So can I ask it? And if you don't like the, the question, feel free to kick me in the teeth. Like that alone, they'd be like, yeah, sure. And then I ask it and it, it just breaks the ice. It makes it fun. You build rapport that way. Yeah. Um, I call it vulnerable disclaimers. You're just giving a disclaimer. I, have a, I really want to ask you a really direct question, but I don't want you to like think I'm rude or anything. Is it okay? So I'll ask permission. Um, anyways, that's that's something to, on, to Jen's point. Um, yeah, I mean, so I really like setting an objective of the call at the beginning. It doesn't have to be like the objective of this call be very very conversational it'd be like hey Laz, i'm glad we're able to connect um you know the the goal here is to and then i'm going to set the context the goal here is to learn a little bit more about um what's happening in the business and see if we're able to help solve it um i don't know that we can the only way really for me to find out is if if i you know ask you some questions and you give me some insight is that okay and so i ask permission the moment you give me permission to ask questions i'm good i can ask my questions i may not like bombard them with questions but I'll ask my, and this is going to a point out of all, like there are endless discovery questions that you can ask. I usually take like four to five or four to six of my top discovery questions that I need to know before deciding, is this a fit for them and me or not? I don't ask them all my 21 questions, whatever it is. So if they give me permission, then I'll, I'll start asking my very deep, you know, four or five questions. I think that solves that that issue just setting your intention up front it tells them why you're going to ask them a lot of the reason why we don't want to answer questions as like from a buyer perspective is i don't know why you're asking me and how you're going to use it against me later right like where is this going so i think that kind of takes that ease like here's my goal and here's like are you cool with me asking you questions love it beautiful let's um actually before we head over to q a and we're going to do that here in just a second Jen, on our call with the three of us earlier, you said something that I really want to go back to because I thought it was so beautiful when you were talking about ending a discovery call 
and you were kind of giving, I don't want to say homework, um, you phrased it much better than me, but <laughs> giving them a job to go do internally to kind of test to see if it's going to be a good opportunity and a good fit. Can you tell us about that strategy? Yeah. Yeah. So, and by the way, like, I wish I did this my entire sales career. I only learned it in my last few years. So I live with regret that I didn't do it, which is why I share it with everyone on this call. Um, we talked earlier about status quo being our biggest competitor. Um, part of the reason why so many deals get stuck, particularly right now, is if an executive raises their hand and says, I want to spend money, that is a very scary thing for them. So when we talk about like the pain of what they're currently dealing with has to be so much greater than all the pain that's associated with buying your solution, get everybody on board, implementing it, making sure like things don't go off the rails, making sure people aren't like, why'd you spend money on this? Like it is, we have to recognize like as hard as it is to sell, it's much harder to buy right now. It's much more risky. And so because of that, we need to arm the executive to be able to articulate why the pain is so, so significant that they should even be exploring an external solution. And so the way I talk about it is we don't have to know the inputs and the math, but we should be able to give the executive a formula for calculating what is the cost if nothing changes. So I'll give a very specific example to show you that this doesn't have to be some like sophisticated math assignment. When I was, again, back when I was selling Challenger, I was when I was doing discovery, I was trying to help an executive realize whether or not they had a problem with losing deals to status quo. And it's a really difficult thing to try to convince someone when they are like, no, we lose deals for price or timing or budget, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. And so I think a large part of successful selling is getting the executive to come to their own realization versus telling them Right. Because I could tell you something all day long, be like, your shirt's ugly as hell. And someone's gonna sit there and be like, It's my shirt. I love my shirt. Right. So it's part of it is is the psychology of getting someone to come to their own conclusion. So what I would do is I would say, Okay, we've talked a lot about this potential problem. I don't know yet if it's worth you investing money to solve it. And I don't know if we should even talk about the solution yet. So let's do this. Before our meeting next week, I want you to go to your CRM. I want you to pull a list of forecasted opportunities that are expected to close before the end of the year. And I want you to go through those and I want you to filter out any that do not have a sales activity within the last 60 days. And that's probably being generous. And then I want you to come back and tell me how much pipeline value is associated with that. And I will never forget one of the times I did this, This per the, there were two people on the, the first call and they were kind of like, eh, I don't know if we should solve for this or not. They came back to the next call and they said, we had never looked at the data this way. It was an easy pull. Um, and we found $90 million of pipe forecasted pipeline that has not had a call with anyone in the last 60 days. And with their sales cycle, that would obviously change depending on a sales cycle. But like with their cycle, they were like, that is a huge red flag that there's not actually a deal there. And, and sellers are misforecasting things. Um, and so it allowed them to come to that next call saying, we know how big the problem is now. So to ask for $4 million for a sales methodology now doesn't feel like quite such a big thing because I've got something to compare it to. I think the mistake I made a lot is I was always comparing like spend three or $4 million to spend $0. Mm -hmm. And so it's really getting them to do a different set of math. So regardless of what you're selling, there is a way for you to do a formula on what the pain is. And I actually think it's it's better for you not to know the inputs and the answers because it forces them to come to that realization on their own. So I think 
the last step of a discovery call for me is giving them a homework assignment, seeing if they do the work. If they don't do the work, yet again, probably a great reason to disqualify. Yeah, that's a great indicator. Like you said, knowing when to let go of the deal. But you talk about like letting them come to it on their own. And I always was like asking for an ROI calculator back in the day, right? I'm like, I want the ROI. People always want the ROI calculator. They want to see. But if they're if they see it on my ROI calculator, people often are like, oh, okay, like whatever, that's inflated. I don't believe it. But you're having them go do their internal conversations or finding data or whatever that is. It's huge. That's a self-realization that's not impacted necessarily by anything you did. You haven't touched their data. Huge. And nobody's ever going to give, no supplier rep is ever going to give you a negative ROI. Like that's why I'm not, like ROI has a time and a place. You need it to defend your credibility later on. I just think early conversations, it's like, of course, there's not a single rep I'm going to talk to if it doesn't say we're going to deliver an ROI. So it's a different thing. Definitely. Let's. I want to touch on that real quick. Do it. Yeah. Love the move. Um, and I feel like some, and this is just like a thought, like, I feel like some prospects are like, yeah, we have this problem, but like, I got to go now and do homework. That's not homework, but I got to do homework. I don't have time for this. Like, I want to see the solution. I mean, another, I mean, just a thought that if someone's going to try this, you, I mean, this is something that I've done personally is I do it with them. So we, our next call that's on the calendar is to do that together. So I'm all, I'm almost giving them a taste of what my services would be like. We audit their pipeline together and they may not know how to audit until I can, because they can go back and be like, how do I even do that? Like, where do I even, I, I got to go on another meeting, forget it. And then it fizzles out. So I'd rather keep control of the deal as much as possible. Yeah, there's a risk that if they're not willing to do the work, that they're not really committed, but there's a risk that if they're not willing to do the work, it's just because they're so busy. That's why they came to me to begin with. That's mm-hmm. just a thought. Yeah. You'd be like, hey, share your screen right now. Let's go through it together. I'll hold your hand. You could, or you can set up a next step. Hey, look, that's a that's a really good reason for setting up next steps. It is a lot of times, and this is not necessarily the topic of of this uh, webinar, but um, I think a lot of next steps are very much like, all right, well, let's just get someone on the calendar and see. Blah, blah, blah. Like, there's that's not a good enough reason for the prospect to show up. Make it a make the reason good enough for them to want to show up to the next steps, and that could be what Jen said could be the perfect reason. Yeah, and you could offer like if you yeah I can help out with that if you want right like you're you're giving your assistance beautiful yeah I think more you raise a good point which is like framing of these things matters right so the framing that I would typically use there is look I know you're excited about this I know you probably want to push forward the conversation but I want you to think about what happens when you walk into your boss's office and you ask for this much money and they look at you like you're crazy right so I want to I want to help you walk in with a really solid business case by helping you first show them the size of the problem before you ever ask for money on the solution. So I think it's a really important point that how you frame these things, you can't just pluck it out anywhere and just be like, go do all this work for me. So I like yeah. that. Hey, I know I called you. Go do Taylor. <laughs> really stay away from the word homework. Like people have this like visceral reaction to the word homework. Do you just like everyone shuddered as soon as we said it? Okay, let's jump over to Q&A. If you have questions, you can pop them in there. Um, really quick more. Uh, there's a question in here about your question about percentage pop probability. Um, can you either say that again or word it for us? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, I think it was regarding the status quo um, situation. Like, I think it was, um, what, what are the, cha- knowing what you know about us now, blah, blah, blah. What are the chances that you'll just continue using said solution or whatever that is? What it's are the chances? 
Perfect. For everyone, these are recorded. Since you're here, you will get it in your inbox um, typically tomorrow. So you'll be able to go back to the recording to any pieces that you wanted to to jot down. Uh, Colleen asks for when someone says, what are some of the challenges you are feeling now that we may be able to help with? Like if we're saying that, is this both inbound and outbound? Assumption seems like they would know our capabilities already. And I think we touched on this a little bit, but when we say, hey, what are the challenges you're feeling right now? Either what are, are you only doing that inbound or outbound? Uh, I mean, so that that particular question that I shared was for an inbound. So what specific challenges are you dealing with now that you think we'd be able to help with? They may not, they may know our, our capabilities, but I don't know the, what their problems are. And they don't know enough about our product unless they've done demo, which they haven't. Um, so I'm not, I'm not making an assumption that they know enough about how we can help them because they, they may not know how we can help solve their problems. They may just know like the features that we have that are on a website, but that's specifically for inbound. You could probably formulate the question if you just tweak it a little bit and create some context and frame it for outbound too. Do you, this is just like a spur conversation off of this. Do you ever ask people what they already know about your solution or are you against mm-hmm. that? I know it's a hot button. If it's inbound, yeah, I'll ask them like, hey, what, how much do you know about what I do? If it's inbound, how about outbound? Are you? No, they don't know anything. <laughs> they don't know anything. Like, yeah. yeah. Jen? I'll set the context, yeah. Same? I, I still will ask it, just I think because it's unlikely they did any research, but they may have, like I've been totally caught off guard where I someone wasn't in our CRM before because somebody did a bad job of logging stuff, but they had actually worked with us at a prior company. So I had a game plan going into a discovery call that was completely changed by asking that question, even though it was outbound. And so then it was much more of a like, well, that's interesting. Look like we did this with you there. Curious, like, did the organization you joined already have a, a like a solution in place for solving that now? Because we hadn't heard from them, right? And most champions, when they go to a new company, they really like what you do. They try to bring you on. So I think I still ask it, even if an outbound, just because sometimes our research is imperfect. You guys, I completely lost track of time because you guys are both so phenomenal. Thank you for sharing <laughs> all of these thoughts with us. Um, we dropped some links in the chat here so that you can connect with both Moore and Jen. There's also another list for more of discovery questions that is in the chat as well. I'm back tomorrow, uh, same time, same place. Uh, but I'm going to be talking with Sarah Brazier tomorrow, uh, keeping this conversation going after discovery. How do you keep a prospect engaged throughout your sales process? You can always find us at sellbetter.xyz. I'm Leslie D. We'll see you tomorrow. And Jen and more. thank you so, so much. This was phenomenal. Thanks. So much fun, you guys. Lots of love. Happy prospecting and discovering. <laughs>